turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. I wish I was saying this morning, I could bring a, or this evening, I could bring a, a very feel-good, encouraging message, but for that's not going to be the case as we'll get into the text here, um, and uh, we'll see why. Pretty somber topic, but I think one that we need to be reminded of um, every once in a while. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 18 is where we'll begin, we to the end of the chapter here. Isaiah 9, starting in verse 18, for wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, And Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Let's go ahead and pray. We'll get into the message here this evening. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for all you've done in our lives. And uh, Lord, I do pray that you be with this hour of preaching. Lord, I pray that you fill me with your spirit. And Lord, I I pray that you meet the needs that are here, uh, whether it be um, someone... uh, turned away from you and, and needing to draw closer to you again, or Lord, if there be one in here this evening um, who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that your spirit bring the conviction that is needed, and Lord, you show them their need of salvation, and that salvation is only, um, you can only have salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and Lord, I pray that they place their faith and trust completely in you. And Lord, I pray that you be glorified through this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Again, it's, uh, as I mentioned, a pretty somber topic. Uh, you're looking, looking at this, and you see the destruction of what would be the northern kingdom of Israel. You see that from uh, starting in verse 8. You would, if you read through the chapter, you would see God pronouncing judgment on the northern kingdom, the ten tribes of Israel. Um, of course, most of Isaiah is written toward the... Uh, southern kingdom of Judah. Uh, But this one, God takes a portion out and he addresses the northern kingdom, who at this time is about to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians. Um, But God addresses this chapter, or this part of the chapter, to the northern kingdom. If you are looking in the first part of the chapter, that's the one we're more familiar with, and you see some prophecies of the coming Messiah. Um, Chapter uh, chapter 9, verse 6, talking about different names of God, wonderful counselor, the mighty God, and talks about the coming kingdom of the Messiah. But again, the second part of the, of the chapter changes a direction and deals with God's judgment coming upon the nation. And really, if you were to go back into the, into the, king, the books of the kings, you would see that this time in Israel is just a time of utter ruin for the, for the nation. Um, just different invading armies coming in and laying waste the countryside. And Israel, of course, the northern kingdom of Israel had a history. They never had a, a godly king. 
Uh, they had a history of rejecting the prophets that God had sent. We know Hosea was one of the prophets sent to Israel. Amos was one of the prophets sent to northern Israel. We also have Isaiah ministered during this time. Micah ministered during this time. God sending all these prophets pleading with his people, both in the southern and the northern kingdom, to return back to him. But it was a dark, dark time. If you're looking at the nation or the kingdom of Judah during this time, this was during the time of King Ahaz, who would be the, sec- the second most evil king that Judah had. And in our text, what we read here really also describes, uh, it's a pretty good des- description of the destruction that sin brings. Um, everything's up in smoke. You see God's wrath coming upon them. The land, when you see in verse 19 where the land is darkened, it's talking about, de- it means it's being laid desolate, um, is, is what that word darkened means. And you see people not caring about everyone else. They're, going, they're trying to make sure that they can provide that self-preservation kicking in and, and people fighting against each other, infighting. That's what's meant in verse 21. Manasseh, Ephraim, Ephraim, Manasseh, two tribes of the northern kingdom, they're going at it. Uh, they're, 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 there's no unity for the kingdom. Everyone's just taking what they can get for themselves. And this, it really sums up what sin does to a land. And again, it's, uh, we don't have time to go to the kings and, and read through portions of scripture, but it, it would definitely show a, a, a very clear picture of this as well. But that first phrase read, that we read in verse 18 really sums it up perfectly. For wickedness burneth as the fire. And so this passage reminds us in really no uncertain terms that sin left unchecked will devour and destroy everything it touches just as fire does. Again, in our text, we're going to look at three different C's and then we're going to conclude with a little bit, uh, a little bit more positive note on, an, on, the four, on a fourth C. But in our text, we'll see the consumption of sin, the consequences of sin, and then the chastisement of sin as well. But before we do, I meant to mention this before, we, uh, before I got into the message, but I do would like to um, recognize the, the monks being up here with us. This is, I believe, is the 39th or 40th anniversary. 39th, they came up here for the 39th anniversary. So, of course, obviously, so, uh, we want to make sure we go by and congratulate them. And it's, uh, it's amazing, especially this day and age, to see a marriage last together, be strong after 39 years. It's a, it's a great example, of course, for the rest of us who haven't been married quite that long. Um, and, of course, him being a pastor as well, just a great, great example. So definitely glad the monks are here with us here today, this evening. All right, so the verse, uh, first point we see here, the consumption of, of sin, we find in verse 18. Let's go ahead and read that again. For wickedness burneth as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. The comparison of wickedness to fire, of, of sin to fire, is very apt. Um, it's a, it, they run parallel together. Many points we could draw, really, from this comparison. But we're just going to confine ourselves to the one that is given in the text. The devouring nature of both fire and sin and of wickedness. Sin, like fire, spreads from its original source. And unless steps are taken to control it, And to combat it, it will destroy everything that it is near. We can think of, okay, when we're having a, when we have a a fireplace. Well, what's around that fireplace? It's things that will not catch fire. 
so that the fire does not get out of control. There are steps taken in just, a, just, just think about the example of a fireplace to make sure that the fire is kept in check and you can control the fire. And again, sin, if it gets, if, if it is left unchecked, if we allow it to remain, unlike fire, fire can be used for good, for warmth. Sin cannot be used for that. Um, you, cannot, you, you cannot control sin like you can control a fire. If you do not remove sin, it is going to absolutely um, lay waste your life. And, and in our text there, verse 18, the Bible mentions three things that wickedness or that the fire is devouring. It says the briars, the thorns, and it will kindle in the thickets of the forest. Um, and most commentators thought this was referring to the types of people that are going to be consumed by this wickedness and the, gut, the chastisement that God is bringing on the land. You have the briars and thorns, kind of common folk, and then you have the thickets of the forest, more of your leaders um, and the, the noble, nobles of the land. But we can also use this application here as areas in our life. There are, there are briars and thorns in our life that are just kind of not important parts of our life. Yeah, they're, they're in our lives, but they're not central to our life. Um, the thickets would be something that is central to our life. And so oftentimes, we don't really care. Like, oh, that's not a very important area of my life. So it's okay if I don't glorify God in that area. It's okay if, yeah, there's a little bit of sin in that part. It's not central to my being. Uh, it's just something I do maybe in my spare time. It's not that big of a deal. So we're unconcerned oftentimes if sin is found in our life. It's just, if it's just a, a small area. It's nothing to worry about. Because we assume that they're just minor parts of our life. It's not going to affect our life if sin is there. But again, of course, just as fire does not contain itself to one area, sin, of course, will not either. Um, if it is allowed to remain, the sin will soon kindle in the thickets of our life, in the central part. It will spread, there's the old term, spread like wildfire. And that's what sin does. spreads so, so quickly. And, of course, we know about, a little bit about wildfires up here in Alaska. Every summer, there's wildfires going across the tundra or somewhere, all these other places. Sometimes they'll have them down on the Kenai Peninsula or even a little bit closer here uh, to Anchorage. And so we know how much destruction fire brings. But sin brings even more destruction. And, again, if we allow sin to remain in the briars, and in the thorns of our life, it will soon consume the thickets. If we allow it to remain in the minor parts of our life, ah, just something I do in my downtime, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I'll, you know, it, God doesn't care what I do in that area of my life. He only cares in the, in the big important areas of my life. Oh, that's wrong. Number one, God does care what you, what you do in all parts of your life. And number two, you can't keep sin in an area of your life and it not spread. Um, it is impossible. So I would plead with you, and again, I, I find this in my life. We, this is something we have to be on fire watch constantly in our life. Reviewing our life, making sure that we have not allowed sin to creep in, that a spark has not ignited and is threatening to soon consume our life. We need to make sure of that. But if, if you are in that condition... And even those who, who are not in that condition is something we need to be mindful of. Um, if you have sins beginning to kindle in your life, um, I want you to remember the words 
of Isaiah. Let's, uh, let's turn back to chapter 1. We'll read some of the other, uh, some other warnings or pleadings that Isaiah had with the nation of Israel. Chapter 1, verse 4. It says, A sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Why should ye be stricken any more? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed neither bound up, neither mollified with, an, with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land, strangers devour it in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been a Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Here Isaiah pleading with the nation. You're a sinful nation. You're full of corruption. Why would you be stricken anymore? Why do you remain in this state? Why do you allow sin to remain in your life? God doesn't live for the pleasure or for the thrill of chastising his people. He does it out of necessity for our profit, not for his pleasure. But so often we allow sin to remain and God's like, why are you doing this? Why will you be stricken anymore? Why do I need to chastise you over and over and over again? I'm reminded of, of child rearing my son, with, my, with my kids. And it's like, why am I having to do this over, correct this problem over and over and over? And I'm sure my parents thought the same thing with me. It, it's amazing. I'm not going to get too far on, on that tangent. But it is amazing. But we are just like the children that God has given to us. We do the same thing to God. Like, he's having to correct us over. He's like, why? Why? Why am I having to do this? Why will you be stricken anymore? So if we have allowed sin to remain, and we're thinking we can control it, remember what Isaiah is saying. Look, you're just going to bring chastisement upon yourself. And it's only through God's mercy that we remain. You see that in verse 9. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. So God allows us to remain, but it's only because of His mercy. Don't allow the fire to remain in your life. We all understand how quickly fire grows. And we can think of uh, Pastor Roach, of course, the founding pastor of this church. And he had a house fire that, that destroyed his house. And they were in there trying to thaw out pipes, and they said the fire started, and it went up just like that. The whole house. They had barely enough time to get out and to get, grab a couple of things from the house, and the house was engulfed in flames. How quickly fire catches and consumes. And if we allow sin to remain, how quickly it will consume the life. Don't deceive yourselves by thinking you can handle the little sins. You can control the little fire. Thinking of young people especially. Don't think that Oh, my appearance may not be that glorifying to Christ, but it's not, it's not super bad. It's not like I'm dressing in gothic clothing. I may not be wearing biblical clothing or clothing according to the Bible, um, dressing according to biblical modesty, or dressing. I may be dressed maybe with a, with a worldly slogan on my T-shirt. It's not that important. 
It is. We are to glorify God with every aspect of our life, and that includes our clothes and how we dress, our appearance. Don't think it's okay if I use some of the mild cuss words, or as Brother Jordan had talked about on, on Wednesday, if I just use a substitute for a cuss word. Um, I, that's okay. You know, my, it's, it's not that big of a deal as long as I don't, don't do it in church or don't do it around my parents. Or the old, this music's just a little worldly. Yeah, it's not really something my pastor would approve of or maybe my Sunday school teacher would approve of, but yeah, it's just, just a little worldly. It's not hard rock. It's not some of this vulgar vulgarity that is found in, in rap music. It's just a little bit worldly. I'll keep it in my life. Fire is there. And it will quickly consume a life. My, when I was still at home, me, uh, my uh, family, we worked for a few months at the boys, uh, the anchor home for boys, the anchor academy. And uh, part of the roll-off roll off homes, I was in Montana, but most of the boys in there could trace their struggles back to wrong music. It all started when I started listening to the wrong music. Uh, it's so, so dangerous. Don't allow this little fire to stay in your life. When it kindles, stamp it out. Extinguish it. And then there's the fire of the critical mind. This can be for young people or, of course, uh, older people as well. That critical mind becoming scornful. Boy, that will ruin a life quick. To where you're thinking, you're scornfully, just constantly thinking ill of others. You think, oh, the preacher, he's placing too much emphasis on that aspect of the Christian life. He doesn't really understand what I'm going through. Becoming a scorner. That is a fire that will quickly rage out of control. Oftentimes, again, we fail to understand how quickly these sins grow in our lives and how they will utterly consume us if they are allowed to remain. As the Bible said, referring to our speech, Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth how quickly it becomes an enormous problem and one that we cannot combat. Again, if a fire is raging, oftentimes all that the firemen can do is just try to contain it so nothing else gets burned up. They cannot save what, was, what it started in. And sometimes, I think as a pastor, that's probably how you're, you, you treat some situations. like, this is so far out of control, I'm just trying to minimize the damage of those around this person. What a horrible state to be in as a Christian, to be like that. To have our whole life just so consumed and so destroyed by sin that the best people can do around us is just try to minimize the damage and make sure that other people don't get hurt by that. But that is what sin does. It, if it is allowed to remain, it will consume everything. And sometimes it takes longer than others. Sometimes it won't be a quick burn. And so then we start to think, oh, we can handle this. Uh, it's, not control, it's not consuming my life immediately. I've, been, I've had the sin in my life for six months, and, and uh, I, you know, it, I'm not out living in the gutters or anything like that yet, so I can control this. No, it, it will consume your life. Um, make sh- uh, be sure you know that. It will consume. That's what sin does. That's what fire does. For wickedness burneth as the fire. And then, of course, the, the areas that it will consume... The briars and thorns, and then the thickets. It will start to control and destroy the central areas of your life. The consumption of sin. <coughs> Excuse me. Secondly, we'll look at the consequences of sin. 
And this is outside of God's direct chastisement. <clears throat> Verses 19 through 21 there in chapter 9. It says, Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and she shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh, Ephraim, and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. <clears throat> Again, when sin begins to spread in life, it affects it greatly. Obviously, we touched on the ruin that it brings to a life. But, and we see some steps in this chain reaction that takes place. As sin is beginning to consume the life, there's some things that happen. Just as, thinking about the nation of Israel, the kingdom of Israel here, as the land was being ravaged for, because of the sins that they had done, how they're constantly seeking after other gods, <clears throat> and God had removed his protection, and the land was just being laid waste by these raiding parties of other nations. Of course, hunger then became rampant. That's what's touched on here in the text. Um, even leading to um, cannibalism. And we, saw, we see that a couple times mentioned in the Word of God with different cities that were besieged and some people resorting to cannibalism. <clears throat> Selfishness was the motivation for their lives. Self-preservation. They only cared about themselves. As it says there in verse 19, no man shall spare his brother. He doesn't care what happens to his brother. He doesn't care what happens to someone else. It's all about me. So some of the consequences of sin in a life, uh, we're going to look at here, just two of them. Number one is a lack of concern for others, selfishness. And then secondly, a lack of fulfillment in life. Sin inherently is a selfish act. It is always a transgression of God, and oftentimes it is a transgression against others. But we commit the sin because we want to. It is selfish. It is a selfish desire. We want to do this. We don't care how it will affect others. We're going to do this because we want to do it. We have a lack of con- There's a lack of concern for others. Sin places the desire of self over the desires of others. And so a life that is ruled by sin is a selfish, miserable life. Uh, there have been different psychological studies that, pro- that have been proving really what the Bible already said. Um, or the, the Bible has already implied, that selfishness leads to a miserable life. It does not lead to happiness. When people follow their own desires, and it's all about their goal in life. No one else matters. They're miserable. They are not happy people. Conversely, of course, those who live their lives for others are happier people. Kind of strange, considering that's what the Bible already told us. We're supposed to live for others, not live for ourselves. We're supposed to deny ourselves, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But a lack of concern for others. This is the result of sin, some of the consequences of sin. The more sin abounds in our lives, the less concern and the less love there will be for others. Matthew 24, verse 12. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Because sin is abounding, remaining in this life, they're not going to have any concern for others. They're not going to have any love for others. <clears throat> sin will bring a lack of concern for others. And also, of course, sin brings a lack of fulfillment. I'm going to read a verse here out of Haggai, uh, chapter 1, <clears throat> and verse 9. 
It says, he looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when he brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. Um, of course, here, the, the issue that Haggai was dealing with was the temple had not been built, rebuilt after they came back from captivity, the Israelites came back from captivity. Um, everyone had made sure their own houses were taken care of. They were dwelling in their sealed houses, as Haggai puts it. Uh, and, but their house was lying waste. And because of this, all their efforts were going to naught. They'd put in, a, put in some seed and they'd be looking at it, man, it looks like a good crop. It looks like a good crop. And then they'd come time to harvest it and it'd be little. They looked for much and behold, little. And then they would bring it home and then God would make even that to really dissipate. And I would blow upon it, as he says. It wouldn't go as far as they thought it would go. Why is this happening? Because of their sin. Because they were ignoring God in their life and they were living all about themselves. Because of this, they had lack of fulfillment taking place in their life. And you can think of different areas of the Bible that touch on this as well. Ecclesiastes, a whole book devoted to life. If they're, to try to find a purpose in life outside of God. Under the heaven. Under the sun. Is there a purpose? There's, something, there's got to be something to live for outside of that. And, and Solomon, the greatest, the wisest man that ever lived, the richest man that ever lived, had everything he could ask for to find purpose. And he tried everything. Pleasure, alcohol, building structures, having a name for yourself. He tried everything. And he says it's all vanity. A lack of fulfillment. Vexation of spirit. And that's what sin does to a life. There is no fulfillment in life. You're left empty. Think of all the famous celebrities that have committed suicide, that have wasted a lot of life on drugs, on, on alcohol. You know, five different marriages. There's no fulfillment in their life because they're living a life outside of God. They're living a life of sin outside the principles that he has laid out for us in his word. And there's no fulfillment. So consequence of sin. Again, Solomon, not only in Ecclesiastes, also the book of Proverbs, penned many things, many different verses stating that same principle. Um, and much like fire, sin is never satisfied. Is the fire ever fulfilled? No. It keeps wanting more and more and more. Is sin ever fulfilled? No. It keeps wanting more and more and more. We can think about the different vices, alcohol or drugs. Is that druggie ever fulfilled with his drugs? No. He keeps wanting more and more. And more and more. As the drunkard, ever satisfied, saying, Oh, that's enough. That's enough alcohol for today. No, he keeps wanting more and more and more. Pornography, same way. You're never satisfied. You keep wanting more and more and more. All these sins lead to a lack of fulfillment. That's what sin is. It's just, it brings a lack of fulfillment to your life. As it says there in verse 20 of chapter 9, Isaiah 9, you're going to snatch on the right hand and be hungry. He's going to eat on the left hand and not be satisfied. Trying to find fulfillment somewhere. But there's no fulfillment. And they even resort to, as it, as it says here, they shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. The flesh of his own arm, most likely referring to a family. Um, someone from his, from his own um, body, basically. And we did see that, again, taking place in uh, an account in the book of First or Second Kings. Where you had uh, these two mothers... And one had a child, and they, or they both had a child, and they said, well, let's eat this one, and then we'll eat the other one tomorrow. Um, 
And think about what sin does to, to a family structure. Um, it's the same way. It will consume the family. It will consume the kids. Your sin will cause you to disregard, to literally sacrifice your family to try to find fulfillment in your sin. You'll disregard your wife. You'll disregard your husband, your kids, because you're trying to find this fulfillment in your sin. And just like someone resorting to cannibalism is sacrificing their child to fulfill their needs, that's what oftentimes happens in families. As a husband or wife is trying to seek to fulfill their desires, and they consume, in it they consume, more or less, metaphorically, their kids or their spouse. Amazing. But it all brings no fulfillment. They just keep wanting more and more. This is the consequences of sin. We also, of course, see God's chastisement of sin. You see that in verse 19. Through the, land, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. Verse 21, the end, uh, last sentence there. For all this, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Sin always brings uh, some natural detriments to it. Just If you sin, if you live in sin, this is what's going to happen. Um, principles God, the way God has laid it out in life. But also, of course, it will bring God's chastisement, God's judgment on us as well. And the thing about this judgment is it will be complete. It will be justly given out by a just and a holy God. When it says his hand is stretched out still, it's complete. He's going to make sure his judgment, his chastisement is full, is complete. <clears throat> when God fully brings his wrath to bear, the results are devastating. As I said there, as I mentioned, that word being dark, be darkened, uh, is the land darkened? It, it means to be desolated. And we've all seen sin and through God's judgment on, on a life, and we've seen the life be absolutely desolated because the person refused to repent. And they just continued in their sin. And you look at them and you're like, what a waste of a life. Because they continued in their sin. And God brought that chastisement upon them. So knowing, we as Christians, we know the power of God. We know the justice of God. Why do we continue in this sin? As we read in in, uh, chapter 1, why will we be stricken anymore? Why do we continue in this? And I think oftentimes because we believe that since chastisement is not immediate, that we've gotten away with our sin. That's not that big of a deal. Um, But of course, number one, you have the old saying, of course, it's true, justice rides a slow horse, but it always overtakes. Um, Chastisement is coming. Justice is coming. Your sins will be taken care of. And so we need to keep that in mind. Just because we may have gotten away with sin and we're allowing it to, to remain in our life, oh, yeah, God doesn't care too much about this little area of my life. He's not bringing chastisement on me right now. Um, it will come. You allow it to remain unchecked and it will come. And again, we never want to get to the point where God brings the full chastisement upon us. Let's turn to Second Chronicles chapter 36. 
the kingdom of Judah reached this point, and really the kingdom of Israel as well, but what we're going to read is addressing the kingdom of Judah. Second Chronicles chapter 36, starting in verse 14. during the reign of the last king of Judah, Zedekiah. Verse 14. It says, Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hollowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up the times and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God. And despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. The, uh, the Israelites had gotten to the point when God had no other option. There was no remedy that he could offer to them. Now, chastisement was going to come and it was going to come in full. As if we are living our life in sin, and those rebukes are coming, those pleadings are coming from the Word of God, maybe through the preaching of God's Word, to turn from your sin, turn from your sin. As God sent the the messengers and the prophets over and over and over again, pleading with them to repent, and they mocked the Word of God. And they continued in their own way. And God says, I don't have another choice. Because God has promised chastisement for sin. He had promised the nation of Israel, look, if you do well, I will bless you. I lay before you this day a blessing and a curse. If you follow my commandments, you'll you'll be exceedingly blessed. Your land will be blessed. Your, Your families will be blessed. But if you choose to disobey I will bring the curse upon you. God had promised this. He had promised the nation of Israel, if you disobey me, I will bring you judgment. I will send you into captivity. And God is always faithful to his word. We think of that oftentimes as a positive for us, which, again, it is. But it also can be negative for us if we continue in sin. God has to fulfill his promise. He is true. And if he has promised judgment for those who continue in sin, he will bring it. And it will be complete. You don't want to be there. God will bring that chastisement maybe slowly at first, starting with the reproof, starting with the rebuke. But if there's no change, and over and over over again there is no change, then he's going to bring the rod. And it it will... Absolutely be complete. The judgment will be complete. As it was with the nation of Israel, land lay desolate. Nation moved into captivity. All because they chose to disobey God and ignore and mock the word of God being given to them. The chastisement of God. Don't don't get to this point where his hand is going to be stretched out still. There's no remedy left. God has to stay true to his word. Don't think you can hide your sin and, and, and have it as your little pet sin that nobody knows about. 
that you can keep hidden away and it's not going to affect your life. And ignore the, the messages of God coming to you. Get rid of it. Repent. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. Don't allow it to remain in your life. Especially you young people, I'm pleading with you. Don't start your, your life, start out, out on life with this little pet sin that you're going to keep. It's going to bring destruction to your life. It may bring momentary moments of pleasure. But your life will be ruined. Don't allow it to remain. God will be left with no remedy. He must fulfill his promise. And yes, his mercy will be there for long. And after, afterwards, we know the mercy is still there. They, the people brought, came back from captivity. But it was a whole new generation. Don't get to this point where God has left no remedy but to bring full chastisement on your life. Don't do it. Sin will consume your life. There will be natural consequences that occur to a life living in sin. And ultimately, if sin is allowed to remain, God must bring chastisement. And you don't want that to come into your life. Now, finish on a little bit more positive note. We'll see the contrast to sin. What is the contrast to sin? That is found in the exact same chapter. Isaiah 9. We'll read a few verses here. Verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I would rather have the zeal of the Lord of hosts in my life than the wrath of the Lord in my life. Look at, look at what is pictured here in verses 6 and 7. It's not a land that is laid desolate, destroyed. It's a promise of peace, of increase. And where God is there and God is the one who is ordering it and establishing it. And when God establishes something, it's established. You're not doing away with that. The contrast to sin is, of course, God. Jesus. Two recurring themes you see in the book of Isaiah. The looking forward to of the Messiah. And, of course, the pleading to return to the Lord. Really, kind of, they're one and the same, especially for us Christians. When we return to the Lord, we are returning to Jesus Christ. We are returning to the Messiah. The one who bought us with his own blood. And where sin brings death and destruction, Christ brings life and restoration. Christ is the contrast to sin. 
And a life that is lived for Christ will stand in stark contrast to a life that is lived in sin. And we have no better picture of that than the life, lives of two kings who lived during Isaiah's ministry. Ahaz and Hezekiah. Ahaz, a wicked, vile king. One who mocked the messengers of God. And then Hezekiah, his son. Who took over a kingdom that was laid desolate. The land had been raided constantly. Philistines coming in. The Ammonites coming in. All these different people groups coming in. Raiding the land. The land was desolate when Ahaz died. And then Hezekiah ascends the throne. And almost instantly you see prosperity coming back into the land. Because in the first month of his reign, he said, we need to turn back to God. We need to clean up the temple. We need to open up the temple. We're going to hold the Passover. And you see God's blessing immediately come upon the kingdom of Judah. In a, such a short span. All this because Hezekiah took the contrast to sin and he obeyed God. Whereas Ahaz had lived in sin and his kingdom had been laid desolate because of this. Now, let's look a little bit here at the contrast of sin, how it is contrasted with Christ, and primarily looking at Christ here. When we live a life for Christ instead of for ourselves and in sin, again, as I mentioned, life is restored. It is not ravaged. Let's look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103, we'll read a few verses here. Starting in verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who healeth all thy diseases. Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. Who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. You can think of how many people in this room have had their lives ravaged by sin. And then been restored by Christ. Thankfully, I, I thank God, I have not had my life completely ravaged by sin. I have not lived out. Uh, and had my life ruined through, through the sin. I grew up in a godly home. Um, one that glorified God. And I thank God for that. But I know that is not the case with everyone here. There are many in here who have lived that life where sin had just ravaged their lives. And then they got saved. And their life was restored by Christ. And we can look at the Bible for examples as well. Manasseh. The most wicked king the kingdom of Judah ever had. One who is said to have executed Isaiah. Lived a wicked life, was taken captive, captive, but in captivity he turned to the Lord. And God restored him his kingdom. You ever heard of that taking place in history? King is taken captive, and then his captors put him back on the throne they took him off of. That doesn't really happen too much in history. But because he turned to God, his life was restored. We can think of the woman at the well. How many husbands did she have? 
but her life was restored when she, when she turned to Christ. Mary Magdalene, the maniac of Gadara, on and on. Life being restored by Jesus Christ, by a following of God. Instead of a life being left desolate, the life is restored and given so much. And as the old song starts off, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. Boy, that, that change is so obvious. Life is restored instead of being ravaged. The second thing here is self is denied, not deified. Let's look at Mark chapter 8. When we live a life for our own pleasures and for our own desires, we deify ourselves. We make ourselves God. But when we live a life for Christ... That self is denied. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If you're going to follow Christ, the first thing he says, you have to deny yourself. Self has to be denied. Again, as Christians, we are commanded to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And we get the, the power to do this from the Word of God and from the Holy Ghost influencing our lives, letting Him control our actions. That is how we can deny self. We need God's power for it. We need the contrast to sin. Jesus Christ. The Word of God. And the Holy Spirit. That is how we will deny self. Christ stands in contrast to selfish behavior. And again, when we look at Christ, we really see how small ourselves, how small self is when we get a good picture of Jesus Christ. Self is denied, not deified. Thirdly, life is full and not futile. Not futile. Let's think about, you know, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Our text in Isaiah, everybody was wanting. Everybody was left wanting more. But when God is our shepherd, when Christ is our shepherd, we have no, no need for anything else. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My life is full. It is fulfilled. Again, our flesh will always want more and more. But a life lived for Christ will recognize that we have all we need in Christ. He is our all in all. He is the true fulfillment of life because He is the meaning of life. He is life. And how many people search for meaning in life, but they end up living an empty life, one that is void of meaning, void of purpose. And they just wander around like a ship without a sail, left to the whims of the waves. And there may be some in this church that are like this. They're ser searching for purpose. And if you are, it's because you've been missing the reason that you have been given life. The reason anyone has been given life is to glorify God. To live to please Him. Not please ourselves. That's why if you're not living for Christ and you have this, well, what, you know, this emptiness, this so you're searching for meaning and for a purpose in life. 
It's because you're not fulfilling your purpose. You have been given a purpose, and you just haven't found it. It's like a great mechanic being assigned to just wash cars. He's going to feel empty of purpose. Like, I could be doing so much more. And many people in this life, and, and maybe even this church, you think, I could be doing more. There's something I'm missing here. Because you're missing the purpose of life. That is to glorify God. Too busy living for yourself. A Christian who is living to please himself will naturally feel empty. Because he was not designed to please himself. We were not made to live for ourselves. We were made to live for God. To glorify God. And of course, sin has perverted this. But when we live for Christ, our lives are full of purpose and fulfillment. We will not feel an empty life. Man, just working in the ministry has, obviously, its it struggles. But there's no lack to purpose. There's no lack to meaning. It's such a full life. Because it is lived for Christ. Or at least it should be. I can't say I do it all the time. So as we conclude, do we have that little burn barrel of sin in our life? Yeah, we just try to keep it contained. It's contained over here. It's not, a, it's not too big of an area in our life. And so we just, when we want to have some guilty pleasure, we'll just go over there and, and sin a little bit, but we'll keep it controlled in this little burn barrel that we got. No. These little sins that we allow to remain are not going to be kept under, under control. They're going to spread to the thickets of your life. And wickedness will burn as the fire. Don't ask, underestimate the power and the devouring nature of sin. Don't allow those little sins, those little fires to remain. Or else in the blink of an eye, your life will, could go up in smoke. Selfish behavior, an empty life. If those are present in your life, they could be indicators that you need to return to the Lord. You need to look to the contrast of sin. If that selfish behavior is ruling your life. Ah, oh, sinful nation. Laden with iniquity. There's no soundness in your life. Why will you be stricken anymore? Turn back to God. Come back to Christ. We must live our lives for Christ if we want to avoid sin's consumption and the chastisement of God. Don't live in such a way that God's hand is stretched out still that he has no remedy except to bring judgment. Let's uh, go ahead and go into a time of invitation. Bow our heads, close our eyes. This message was directed to believers, but it's very applicable for those who have never put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And for you, there is no contrast to sin that you can turn to except to turn to to Christ to save you from your sins. Your sin will take you and condemn you to an eternity in hell, to an eternity in a lake of fire. And God says there's no remedy for that except Jesus Christ, who came to this earth out of his love for you. He lived a perfect life, and then he went to the cross, and he said to his Father, I want to take the sins of the entire world upon myself. I'll pay the penalty. I'll be consumed 
in their sin and destroy and, and, and lay desolate. Taking the sin of the entire world upon myself. And he paid the penalty. An eternity of a lake of fire. And he paid that penalty for you. Because he loved you. But of course because he's God. He, three days and three nights later. He rose up from the dead. He defeated death. He defeated hell. And now he is offering life. To all who will come to him. And if, you, if, there's, if there's someone in this room who, there's never been a time where you put your faith and trust completely in Jesus to save you from that penalty, to save you from that sin. I want to pray for you. Again, it's a, what a horrible place to be in to have the chastisement of God abiding over you. There's one in here who said, I, I've never accepted Jesus as my Savior. And I would like to learn to know more. If you could raise your hand, I'd love to pray for you. Again, what a dangerous spot to be in. All right, Christian. We can be in a dangerous spot too. And we may not be in danger of everlasting damnation. But we can sure be in danger of God having to bring full chastisement in our life. Far better to turn to Him from your, out of your own volition. And before He brings that chastisement. Far better to listen to those rebukes and say, I need to turn to the contrast of sin, to Jesus Christ. Your life will be so much better. You'll have a purpose in life. Your life will be restored. But it takes the humbling of ourself and turning back to Him. And we need to do that tonight. Every day, we need to make sure we are doing this. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for, Lord, the great warnings found in your word. And Lord, I pray that you be with this invitation hour. Meet the needs here that are present. I pray that uh, we be willing to yield to your spirit's leading. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Grab those psalm books. Turn to page 174. If God's been speaking to you tonight, and you need to do some business with him, this altar is open. Page 174 for the invitation to psalm.